Hello, people, and welcome to part two. This is episode 43 of The Rock Show, and this is part two of The Cram. And um, we got uh, Rocker Mike here. Hello. We, where, we, where did we left off in the last episode? Basically, it was like 1978. And they still didn't have a record deal. Yeah, okay. they're, still they're, hunting they're, that they're hunting deal that record deal, and they're 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 popular in the live circuit, playing all over the place. But they just can't. They're doing demos everywhere. People are interested, but just no real record deal. No real record. Did, right. did at this point did they at least release a single or anything like that? Have not they yet. Released anything? No, Nothing. not so, yet. All right, not yet. It's coming. Okay, it's coming. But you know, I mean, they should have. They've yeah. had a lot of a lot of people interested, but. Just nobody was biting. What would happen now is uh, British guitarist Chris Spedding, okay, would catch a gig that, that they did at Max's Kansas City and uh, offer to produce some more demos for them. Yeah. Remember we saw Chris Spedding with Robert Gordon? Yeah. The guitar player? Yeah. All right. Now, at that point, they had recorded uh, for, for Chris Sp- with Chris Spedding, Teenage Werewolf, a song called Twist and Shout, and a song called I Ain't Nothing But a Gorehound. Great song. I, I love that. That, love that. that actually ended up on like a live album later on in a oh, couple yeah, well, of years. You know, a lot of those demos, they did wind up in live albums later on. Yeah, they, they would also be bootlegged extensively oh, yeah. later on too, which we'll talk about. Uh, it was at this point that the, the Clash, okay, was interested in them. And they actually asked them to open up at the, the shows that they had at the Palladium going on in, in late 78 now they jumped on that right away because they never had a chance to play in front of like 3,000 people before that's amazing that's 3,800 people was what the Palladium held yeah uh, also on that same bill was the uh, was Bo Diddley okay so they was gonna be Bo Diddley the Cramps and the Clash at the Palladium wow imagine that it's just a Palladium in uh, 14th Street 14th Street yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, this was during the, uh, right before London Calling had come out, you know, so they, remember right, when we did the class show, we were talking about the shows at the yeah. Palladium, this was them. The Palladium was a great venue, too, to yep. see a show. It was. Now it's a fucking NYU dorm. NYU dorm, and it's still called the Palladium. I know, they, they call it the Palladium dorm. Yeah, it's like fucking, that. Yeah. fucking yeah. idiots. Now, uh, they were playing nationally a little bit at that point, and outside of a show in L.A., that they played, uh, they met up with Miles Copeland, okay, whose brothers was Stuart, Stuart Copeland, yeah. okay, from the police. And he had a record label called IRS Records. Yep. And in England, it was called Illegal, Illegal Records. Yep. It was all the same thing. Yep. And he offered an EP deal to them, okay, an EP being an extended play. Yeah. And what he, what he would give them was basically... They had two singles at that point on Vengeance Records that had just come out the same year. And uh, they would take those two singles and add on a fifth song, okay? Let me ask you, was that EP called The Gravest Hits? Gravest Hits, yep. So was that, that's not an album, but that's an It's an EP, it was five songs. It was it was the way I walk. The way I walk. Domino, surfing bird. Surfing bird. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting one. I know there's another one in there. Surfing bird. Way I walk. Domino. Human fly. Human, Human fly, which is a classic show. song. And the fifth song that they added on was Ricky Nelson's Lonesome Town. Yeah. Lonesome okay. Town. And they did like this haunting version of it. Now, IRS would sign them. 
and that would come out. Finally, they'd have something. Yeah. As a, it was an EP. Greatest Hits, 1979. And they would go on tour in England. Okay. Yeah. They would open for the police. You had that connection there between Miles and Stuart Copeland. Yep. And actually, it, you know, it, I always thought this was funny because I always hated the police. Never liked them. Yeah. And I always thought they were lame. And the Cramps played with them many times and had nothing but nice things to say about them. Wow. So, whatever. That's good, I guess. Uh, when they got to England, they, they really made a big splash. Nick Kent for New Musical Express praised them. And they did really well. They were drawing a big crowds off that EP. And IRS offered them a real record deal at that point. And that's uh, where the rest is history. The rest is history after that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, they had uh, done demos with Alex Chilton earlier. And they had kind of like a handshake agreement where if they did get signed, they had promised Alex Chilton, if they could, that he would produce their material. And he did, okay. right? And he did. Okay, IRS didn't have a problem with that. And they were going to record these this album down at Sun Studios again, okay, where they had done the demos before. Let me ask you a question. You ever heard um, them be referred as the first um, psychobilly? Psychobilly. Where yeah. did that terminology come from? That that's that's very. I heard that once or twice. Okay, that's very interesting, Rob. You <laughs> asked that. Now, if you ask Poison Ivy, she'll say that they invented the term okay. and the genre. But actually, there's a Johnny Cash song from about six years earlier yeah. in the early 70s called One Piece at a Time. Okay. And in the song, he's talking about how he works at a factory making cars. And he's going to get himself a Cadillac. Yeah. So what he's going to do is he's going to take one piece at a time. He's going to put it together at home. Okay. <laughs> and he's bringing, he's bringing parts home in his lunchbox. Yeah. He's bringing shit home. And, you know, he's got a Cadillac from like eight different years. Wow. <laughs> eight different parts. And at the end of the song, he mentions, it's like he's talking on a CB, like yeah. you hear him, and he's saying like, you know, I'm a psychobilly cat, alright, and that to me is the first reference of that of that term, psychobilly, psychobilly wow. you know, so I don't know, um, in England that term was taken pretty seriously, there were a lot of bands that were in the cramps, uh, following their footprints that called themselves psychobilly, psychobilly. Uh, a band called the Meteors, bunch of other bands uh, would, would, would take that title you know I mean it, it's a cool title yeah, you know? cycle, cycle yeah. Bitty. so uh, Alex Chilton would produce an album for them okay and uh, they would work on it all through 1979 and uh, it would be called um, Songs the Lord Taught Us when it came out now there was some problems with this album when they were making oh, it oh yeah Chilton was a perfectionist, but he was also a serious fucking drunk. All right, so a lot of times he was like wasted when they were supposed to be doing things. They'd have to wake him up or whatever. And then when it got to actually mixing the album, nobody wanted to work with them. They were just like nobody would work with them to make the final mix. Why? And they just didn't. They, they were like, listen, this is all noise. This is all fuzz. You know, you suck. You know, and, and it's. <laughs> I mean, it was hell. Okay, I can't imagine what that must have been like for them. All right, but 
and finally, in, in, in early 1980, this album would come out. And it would have... Uh, it, it's an amazing It's an amazing album You have Sunglasses After Dark Oh that's a great song Garbage Man Garbage uh, The Mad Daddy song. Would be on there Which would be The tribute to Pete Myers The Mad Daddy DJ A song called I'm Cramped A song called TV Set I mean this was oh, Just like that, that An amazing movie. Amazing Gar- fucking Garbage album. Beats Garbage Man Is a fucking great fucking song oh, And yeah. TV Set Is a great yeah. song You ain't no punk You punk Yeah Alright I mean it's great. like Amazing all right. Now, uh, IRS would, would promote them a little bit during this, and uh, they would put them on tour with the Buzzcocks, Iggy Pop, The Clash, and also the police. Look at that lineup. Just think with that lineup. That's like, you look at that lineup, it's like, that's an amazing lineup. Think of what you just say. Yeah, imagine seeing Iggy and the Cramps together. I mean, <laughs> please. All right. Now, there was a deal with A&M Records that uh, IRS was going to basically kind of allow them to promote the album for them and A&M didn't do a great job with it they they basically didn't know how to how to categorize them no okay didn't know how to promote them so the album was made but nobody heard about it yeah okay the cramps have an album nobody knew that's the problem okay so by March of, of, of 1980, they had to go back to touring big time again. And they ended up in the UK, where they were always popular. They always did very well there. And they got some gigs with 999, XTC, and some other bands. They also went to France, I think, for the first time then. And uh, they were very popular there, too. There was an actual rockabilly movement going on in France. Huge a lot, rockabilly Yeah, movies. and a lot of, a lot of uh, original rockabilly albums, guys like Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran, their albums were re-released in France. Couldn't get them in America at that time, but they were re-released in France. There's just something about... The European people—they—they—they like—they—they—they enjoy American and and know American music more than us. Why is that? I don't know. They like the hog. <laughs> they like the hog. They, David, like in Germany, David uh, has a hog. It's like uh, fucking keen of hog fucking. It's amazing. David Hasselhoff. I, I might give that album the album of the year for you, man. We're gonna talk about that later. That's what we try. We should actually have a fucking album of the year. We should have. I like might. A, I, I might give it we that. We should have man. like two, three, or four best albums. That 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 Hasselhoff "Open Your Eyes" album was pretty eyes. fucking good. Even though I it's look, all covers, it's I'm great. Ready for the William Shatner Christmas <laughs> album. <laughs> <laughs> See, watch him singing "Baby It's Cold Outside." Piss off all the uh, Yeah, baby. Yeah, we're gonna have another year of "Baby It's Cold Outside." People getting mad. Right. Now, Brian Gregory, the guitar player, second guitar player in the band. Uh, was very interested in this point in the occult. There would be lots of photo shoots of them with like, you know, carrying like bones and like, you know, weird shit. And, and he was involved with a lot of occult activities. He was also having a very bad heroin addiction. Okay. <laughs> he was paranoid. And he hated touring. Brian Gregory absolutely hated touring. He was afraid of like going to Europe, he didn't trust nobody, yeah. whatever, you know. Now, he felt also that they weren't doing enough as a band to be bigger. He, he wanted to be a superstar. 
He thought he was Brian Jones. Well, you know what? The, the Cranes. From the, from the Stones. The Cranes were good, but they never really like had like super commercial. They had somewhat of commercial You know what? They, 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 they had a little bit of commercial success in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and that was about it. I, I, but they didn't care. I'm going to bring something up, man, because they did yeah. two very unique things. You know the first time I saw the Cramps on TV? Once in 1994, and they were on Late Night with... Letterman? No, with... Um, uh, Conan O'Brien? Conan yeah. O'Brien. Yeah. And you know what songs they did on Conan O'Brien when they, when they were on Was it Ultra Twist or something? Ultra like? Twist. Yeah, I remember right. that. I remember then, seeing that. Another yes. weird appearance that I learned today about the... Do you know they were in Beverly Hills 902? Yes. Yes. And they did two songs. That's, I remember strange, that episode. They did this strange and I, I and hate, something. I, like I hated that, that show, <laughs> but I heard the cramps were coming on, and they did. That was that was a good 15 years later. And here's another. Yeah. They also did a song for um, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. In 85. Right. The song Surfing Dead. Surfing yeah, Dead. Absolutely. Fucking great song. Okay. Now... What was happening with Brian Gregory is they were starting to go in kind of different directions at yeah. this point. Uh, Brian became more interested in bands like Public Image Limited yeah. and up-and-coming punk and new wave bands than he did with Rockabilly. Yeah, he was ready to... He wanted to be a star, like you said. Well, he wanted to be a star, and, and he felt the, the cramps were not the vehicle to do that. Now, but he would do things in a real shitty, shady kind of way. Okay, because once they got back to the States, yeah. they had a, a tour lined up, a short tour. And then I, I believe they were going to head somewhere else after that. And uh, he left them in the middle of the night and, and uh, disappeared <laughs> off the face of the fucking earth. Yeah. Okay, people thought he died. People thought he went to Mars. Nobody knew where the fuck he went. Okay? That's another conspiracy. Yeah. Where did he go? Yeah, where did he go for those years? He would pop up later on, but they were scrambling for a guitarist at that point. So they ended up with a, a, a girl named Julian Hecklinger, who was in a new, a new York City band called The Mad, a punk band called The Mad. And she took the name as she took the name Grind Snatch, <laughs> okay, as a guitar player. She only did ten gigs, okay, and basically her, her whole thing was. If you see the film Erg, A Music War, which has a lot of bands in it that IRS yeah. was involved with, the, the, se the section with the cramps, she, she's on stage. So it's her only little, little document as being in the cramps. Uh, IRS would release some singles later on at that point, including Drug Train, which is a great song. Great song. And uh, they would come back to New York City to realize this is not going to work out. Okay. Actually, when they got back to New York City, they found that they were evicted. <laughs> okay. And Who was paying their rent? I don't know. I, either they weren't paying it or they just lost the apartment somehow. Wow. Okay. And they said, fuck it, we're leaving here. We're going to move to L.A. So they had a 1980 Grand Marquis, Lux Interior painted California or bust on the fucking car, and they left. They left New York forever. Okay. And... You know, they were tired of coming back from England and then playing little places like 
CBGB's or Max's or, yeah. or, or Trenton City Gardens or a little fucking mug club or whatever. They, they didn't want to play bigger places. They, they, they had, you know, they were trying to make it. They just knew that it wasn't going to happen in New York at that point. The scene changed, yeah. okay, a little bit, and it wasn't going to happen. But in L.A., they figured they'd have more space, they could do things. It was weird because it was like, it was like, you had the whole punk, rock and roll. Then you got like the grand rock that really started taking off. And at the yeah, same time, that was a few got, years away. Yeah. You also got disco in the background, like, you know, like all that disco, all that other shit that was going on. And then for some reason, you also got the immersion of uh, what is called rap, which is starting to come up. All this stuff is starting to come up, like in the 80s, early 80s. And like the way the music is changing, and then the videos came out. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, very weird. The, 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 the cramps, I wouldn't say they had anything to do with rap or no, disco. They were the but, but, thing. But, I mean, but I mean, this is the way music was changing in yeah. New York. Because there was a lot, there was disco, there were club for disco. There were club for disco. It got to a point in New York that it almost alienated the punk scene, and they had to go to like Coney Island High, CBD. Yeah. Could it go to like these other clubs? Right. So even to the Palladium changed to that too. This Palladium was the, gone. But the Palladium started having more like. Other stuff, when they, especially when they came back, it was more like a hip hop thing. Yeah, it was weird the True. way that changed. True. Uh, L.A. has a certain decadence yeah. about it. Uh, it's kind of like under the surface, and they were attracted to that. Uh, when they got to L.A., they had befriended a band called the Gun Club. They knew these guys before, but when they got out to L.A., they became closer with guitarist Brian Tristan. Yeah. Uh, Brian was a great guitar player. Uh, he is a great guitar player uh, as a uh, in the Gun Club, but uh, they weren't going to have another Brian in the band, no. so they had to change his name. All right, and he would be Kid Congo Powers. Kid Congo Powers. Okay. Yes. Uh, and his debut gig would be December fourteenth, nineteen eighty-one, in London. And this came after a months-long birth by bath. bath uh, baptism by fire, I should say. Okay, <laughs> into the cramps. They recorded an album which would become Psychedelic Jungle. Uh, they weren't playing live. They just put out this album that was heavily influenced by '60s Nuggets. If you're familiar with the Nuggets collection, Lenny Kay from the from the Patti Smith band had put this collection out before he was in Patti Smith, and there was also another collection called Pebbles which was really instrumental in reintroducing a lot of people into this like 60s garage sound that kind of like went unnoticed in the 60s yeah and then reemerged in this like early 80s time and people were very into it now there was some songs that they did uh at this point uh goo goo muck Green fuzz, yeah. <laughs> don't eat stuff off the sidewalk. Don't eat stuff off okay. the sidewalk. A song called Beautiful Gardens, which has like one of the best lines ever because it's a song about doing acid. And he Psychedelic Jungle. It's a song about doing acid and there's a lyric that yeah. says, I see goats in the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, I'm about a song called Under the Wires, where it's like a phone call over a payphone. Great fucking album. Now Congo, Kid Congo Powers, uh, again, they weren't using the bass player. They went for another guitar player who would tone his, you know, tune him down a little bit for, to, to his guitar notes down. But he was pushing the band in a different direction. It was more of this like 60s nugget 
Pebbles kind of sound. It's great shit. It was a little different than songs the Lord taught us. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't as rockabilly. It was a little more like, you know, psychedelic. Okay. <laughs> you know what title that I always love that they have is, yeah. um, Can Your Pussy Do the Dog? Oh, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming in a couple of years. I got a good story with that. <laughs> I just was reading that. I fucking. I got, I got a good I story with that. fell off my chair. Yep, yep, yep. Laughing. Yep, yep. I mean, the. the the cramps were the were the kings of the double entendre. Yeah. Where wow. you say something, it could mean two two different yeah. things. All right. Now, after uh, psychedelic jungle came out, they they decided to uh, play Europe. That was early 1982, and they did some shows with the Meteors, which was they called themselves Psychobilly. Yeah. Okay. They were a psychobilly band. They yeah. They had they check out. Uh, my, my, my daddy was a vampire daddy That's a good a song And there's a lyric in there It's like My mommy was a mummy <laughs> You know <laughs> yeah. Good shit And They would You know The thing with the cramps Is they would go to Europe And they would be playing These big places Treated like superstars Yeah But when they came back To America yeah. They were playing Small clubs Yeah Alright They would play like Trenton City Gardens The Mug Club And after that European tour uh, they had to go back to that. I do have to mention, though, on that European tour, they, they ended up doing a few gigs with Screaming Lord Such. Oh, Screaming Lord in Such. English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That must have been big for that them. Was cool. That was cool. I got to tell a little story quick. Is well, my, my, they got that screaming and that weird kind of funk and sound. Yeah, sounds yeah. My, 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 my buddy, Rick Rivers, who passed away this year, told me a story where he went to see Screaming Lord Such in England in the mid-'80s. And uh, when they did these shows with Screaming Lord Such, they had offered him to try to get him back to play with them in, in America. And when Rick went to see them, he got backstage and he said, you know, you got to come to America. And Screaming Lord Such was like, yeah, the cramps are supposed to get in touch with me. And let, but it never, it never <laughs> happened. It never happened. That would have yeah. been, been, that would've been awesome. Yeah. He never made it to America, Screaming Lord Such. Uh, early in 82 there would be some legal problems and changes and stuff that would happen here. Uh, they would file a lawsuit with IRS records and have a total falling out with Miles Copeland. Yeah, you know they couldn't get some of those songs for a while? They had to buy a lot of their songs back because some other people... Yeah, and they could, and, but, but they were still under contract with IRS yeah. and couldn't release anything. Okay? Yeah. So what happened was their lawsuit basically said that they were owed $10,000 from, from the IRS. It had to do with like a pre-signing bonus or something yeah, like right. that they never got. They never got, yeah. All right? And then there was something also about the original contract that they signed. They were never given the proper copies to it. Okay. It was very shady what was going yeah. on. Okay? And uh, the, the band didn't give a fuck about the $10,000. No. They just wanted to get off of IRS. Yeah. Okay? And they were holding them back. IRS wouldn't let them go. So at that point in the early 80s, the cramps were being heavily bootlegged. Yeah. I remember when I first, when I first started yeah, taping it. Taping it. And, and when, I, when I first started getting into them in the early 80s, you would go to places in, in New York City on 8th Street, Revolver Records. Yeah. It's only rock and roll rock Places and roll. like that And they would have These cramps Bootlegs And they would have Titles of these songs Like you never heard of But then when you'd buy them It would be like Oh you just changed The name of the song I know this song yeah. You know what I mean And and it was like 
different live locations or demos. A lot of stuff that they demoed ended up coming out there as as bootlegs. It was bad. You know what I mean? So Nick Knox, uh, unfortunately, at this point, he was getting very uh, heroin addicted. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to say this, and I don't know how it happened exactly, but he lost his eyesight in one eye due to a heroin problem. Holy shit. Now, I don't want to know where he was shooting that heroin. Or, I, I, I don't want to know. But I know he needed an operation involving this. Uh, Kid Congo Powers also was having a drug problem as well. Uh, IRS didn't give a fuck. They were in legal battles with them. And they released Off the Bone, which was a, a, like a compilation. And also an album called Bad Music for Bad People. Oh, yeah, that's a All good right. one. Now, that, that was the album that got me into the band. If you, I'll show you quick. It's like this. If you can see, like this skull. Yeah, that's the cover, right? That's the cover of Bad Music for Bad People. Um, I mean, I was blown away by it when it came out. I was about 15 years old. And I said, this is fucking great. That was a you fucking know? great album. Yeah. Now, November 25th through 26th in 1983, they would do a, a few gigs at the Peppermint Lounge in New York City. And these songs, they, they, they couldn't, they, they were held up legally. They couldn't release any new material. But they wanted to put out a live album. So they recorded this. And this album would become Smell of Female eventually. Yeah. Okay, which is a, a great album. That was, yeah, that was one of the live albums they yeah. had. Yeah, it's probably their best one, really. Yeah. Uh, summer of 83, uh, they would also kind of get into another semi legal entanglement. With who? IRS or another? No, no, there was a fan club the fan, okay. called The Legion of the Cramps. Yeah. And there was a. The president of that fan club, his name was Lindsay Hutton in the UK. And he was putting out information about the cramps and telling fan club members that he was getting this information from Probably them. And no. But he wasn't. He was lying. He was lying. Okay. And, you know, they would have never jumped on this, okay, if it wasn't for the fact that he really had no contact with them and he was acting like he did. Yeah. So... He was, you know, telling their fans false information, how the band was, how they could be, and whatever. And, and the band found out about this, and they, they, they put, like, a legal stop to it in England. And some, some, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a strange thing. So a lot of fans in England were turned off by that because they were getting... They, well, they, they, they were getting flyers and stuff with pictures of the cramps, and it was this guy saying, yeah, this is coming from the cramps, but it really oh, wasn't. no, All right. no, that's yeah. awful. Yeah, <laughs> it is awful. So he, they, they put a stop to it. Now, October of 83, the legal problems with IRS would get worked out, and they would be released from the label, yep. and they learned something from that where... They said, we're not going to deal with any big labels anymore No, at that point. We're going to put things out on ourselves or we're going to go with small labels. Now, if you think about it, that cut their own throat as yeah. far as being a big band. Yeah. But they didn't give a fuck. They, they, they knew at that point that they weren't going to be you know, a top 40 band. And they didn't care. I gotta hand it to him. You know what I mean? Hey, you take your chance and you take your and you do what you gotta do, and you know what? It's successful sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, November of 83, uh, they would put out Smell of Female. Poison Ivy got involved with I the French label uh, New Rose. What's that? No, not the uh, the New Rose label in France. Now, th- that album would be fantastic. It was live, live from the Peppermint Lounge. You had songs like You've Got Good Taste, Call the Wig Ad. Uh, they did a theme uh, from the Fast and Pussycat Kill Kill movie. They did the theme from that. Uh, they did a version of the Count Five Psychotic Reaction. And Rob's getting a food delivery right now. Yeah. All right. Wouldn't be, the, wouldn't be the, lump, the, the, the rock show without that. You know, we wouldn't be getting lumped up. What'd you get, Rob? Share with everybody. Pork chop. Pork chops. <laughs> I'll take a big bite out of it because I haven't eaten all day. All right. Keep going. Okay. At this point, take... at this point, uh, they would have to get a new guitar player because uh, Kid Congo Powers would leave. They would get Mike Metcalf. Okay, he was uh, Nick Knox's cousin, and he was actually, I think, involved with the Pagans. He, which was a band out in Cleveland and uh, his name would become Ike Knox <laughs> and he did a few shows with Some them of the names that they gave their guitars was fantastic it's fantastic you gotta change your name right uh, they would record The Surfing Dead which you mentioned before uh, that was a song that That's was in the movie song. Return of the Living yep. Dead if you watch that movie it's at, at the ending credits yeah Return yeah end of 1985 uh, they were basically working on a new album They were thinking about getting back in the studio So they started recording al- uh, Songs for the album A Date with Elvis And they got hooked up with Enigma Records Which was a small label Now, early 1986 You got the record cover Yes, I'm going to show that in a second Early 1986 uh, That album would be released And what's very interesting is Literally like a week or two, I think, before the album was pressed, Ricky Nelson died. Oh, yeah. Okay, now they were huge Ricky Nelson fans. They had recorded Lonesome mm-hmm. Town. They were fans of his music. Uh, do you remember how Ricky Nelson died? No, how did he die? He was on a private plane, and they were all freebasing coke. Oh, my God. And they crashed into a mountain. What the? The pilot. What's freebasing coke? They were freebasing coke. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. So, yeah. They dedicated the album to him. Now, I have this album cover right here I want to show you all, okay? Uh, This is A Date with Elvis. I love this album cover. You got Ivy with the little devil horns, okay? And they had, like, this back cover here. Uh, This is just, like, iconic to me. This is when I really became, like... You know, aware of this band, um, and you would see that album cover in record Everywhere. stores. Tower Records had it, and I was just, you know, blown away by it as a 17-year-old kid just getting out of high Ivy, school. Pretty Ivy much, looked hot that Ivy looked hot, and it just was fantastic. Now, um, they would re- they would uh, do this album and release it. But Ivy was playing bass on the album. And it was the first time they actually used a, any bass yeah. on any of their albums. Yeah. They always would just, the second guitar player would just tune down a little bit. That would be their bass. But they actually had Ivy playing bass on that album. Uh, you had songs like Hot Pearl Snatch. 
how far can too, too far go? And then the all-time classic, Can Your Pussy Do the Dog? <laughs> I was in love with this band at that point. I went and I bought the T-shirt that was Poison Ivy in a cat suit, bent over, her butt sticking out. She had a tail on the suit. And it said, Can Your Pussy Do the Dog? I wore it in 12th grade and got thrown out of school that day. <laughs> It was great. It was great. Oh my god! You now, went to that. The, I, I wore it to school prominently and just was like, "Can you pussy do the dog?" Yep. You're going home. Wow. Yep. Oh man, that's an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got thrown out another time that year for a different yeah. shirt. You want to know what it was? What it was. Mm-hmm. Hitler's World Tour. Oh, <laughs> right? my God. <laughs> it, was a, it was a picture of Hitler on his shirt, and on the back it had, like, the dates of, like, that he conquered different countries, and then in England it said, uh, it said rescheduled because he never got England. <laughs> I got thrown out of school for wearing that shirt. Oh, oh, man. oh, my God. Okay. I can see that you're walking <laughs> Oh man, people they need to be able to laugh at that today. They didn't laugh then. Believe no. me. They needed the bass player to do the tour of this album. Ivy would do, was doing all the bass on the on the live on the on the album. They needed the bass player, so they recruited Jennifer Dixon, who became Fur Dixon. All right, on bass guitar for the gigs. Uh, she played in there in Belgium, in France, in Holland. They did a tour of Europe again. It was in Munich that uh, there was a show that Lux was jumping up and down on the stage and he fell through. The, <laughs> the boards, the, the floorboards collapsed and he fell through the stage and you, he, he held on to the mic and he was singing like in the hole, okay, and he pulled himself out of the stage. <laughs> that must have been I wish there was some video of that, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, Europe at that time in the mid 80s was hating on America big time. United States had just bombed the shit out of Libya. Reagan was not a popular guy. No. They were putting nuclear weapons in Europe to protect oh, yeah. Europe. You know, the Patriot missiles, yeah. all that shit. Okay. And there was protests everywhere. So some of these shows that they were going to play ended up getting canceled because of security issues yeah, and protesting. Yeah, they couldn't have yeah. proper security. Right. Now, there was a show uh, after they played in Germany one day where Nick Knox and Fur actually got questioned at a checkpoint because they thought they had drugs. Now, they did, okay, but they didn't get caught, all right? They basically, you know, in in, in Europe, in in those days, if you were a pothead, it was hard to get pot. Yeah. Okay? But you could always get hash. Yo, hash is way better than pot. Yeah, well, stronger, okay? A little different. All right, and uh, these, you know, Nick and Fur were doing hash. There was some suspe- suspicion about them, but they ended up kind of getting away with it. Uh, when they went back to America, Fur, uh, Fur Dixon would leave the band, unfortunately, before they had a, uh, another tour scheduled in Australia. Now, this was where they brought in Candy Del Mar. Let me ask a question. Why yeah. did these guys have so many band chases? Yeah. They couldn't get away with more with people or with 
Because it was always, because if you're that man, it's going to be, you're always going to have, you're always going to be two vote down. Because I'd be in luck. You know, think about it. If, if you were a band, if you were in a band that was making, you were putting out a lot of records, you were yeah. selling a lot of albums, you were on the radio or whatever, okay? You wouldn't leave. Yeah, no. You wouldn't leave, okay? You'd stay in the band. But when you're a struggling band like the Cramps, yeah. okay, there's, you know, a lot of problems with that. Yeah. Okay? And and I think that uh, things would come out of your own pocket that you probably were like, fuck that. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, L- Lux and Ivy were very driven. They, they, they knew what they wanted and... You had to kind of conform, I think, to their way. Yeah, to their way. You know, and, and, and if you didn't, you'd bang heads. Now, there, there was drugs involved and this. I mean, I don't know, okay? But, uh, you know, Fur would leave. They would get uh, this girl named Connie Del Mar. Now, they had met Connie Del Mar actually earlier in a liquor mart parking lot in Los <laughs> Angeles, okay? But she was like 17 years old and still in high school at that point. And they kept her in mind just in case because she did play bass. Well, they called her up and she would be the next bass player for the Cramps. And she uh, was good. And she was very good. She was known for, she was a brunette, very pretty. Yeah. Okay, she was a little bit, little bit older at that point. And she was known for blowing a lot of bubbles, on bu- bubblegum blow- bubbles yeah. on stage. Okay. Uh, they had recorded an album. She went to Australia with them. Yes. And they recorded an album called Rockin' and Reelin' in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, that's a great okay, album. Which is that's one, a live album. It's a live album. I think it's probably their best live album, to be honest with you. Smell the Female is great, but it's short. Rockin' and Reelin' is a little bit longer. And it's basically everything from that album, from the, the you know, the, the um, a Date with Elvis tour, basically, that they were doing. Uh they were signed up at that point in August of 1986. That album would come out with Big Beat Records. Now, this was when I first saw them, okay? 1986, New York City. They did some shows at the Ritz. I think it was two shows. And I was blown away. Wow. I was like, this is like my fucking favorite band. Amazing. Uh, my th- dad is watching. Your dad's watching? Yeah. All right. Give a shout out. Mr. Rossi. Hello. Now, so, yeah, go ahead. Um, did we get to? Um, they had another LP. Did they release this LP? Who did they do? It was um, Bruce Fix. What's that? The LP um, Blues Fix. But they had two LPs. Well, I well, I think a Blues Fix thing was a compilation that they oh, were that, involved well, yeah, with. That yeah, an LP. I don't know. They're, they're not up to that yet. But I couldn't even get the year. No, nah, that was like that came out later on. Okay, they they did some different songs on that. Um, this was an this was like around 1986. Oh, you saw them? Oh yeah, I saw them and I was blown away by them. Uh, but it was after the show in New York City that they took a, a short hiatus. Oh yeah. Okay, and they started recording some demos because they were they thought they were going to be involved with the movie Cry Baby. Oh yeah, that was okay. That was a great movie. They, yeah, the John Waters film Cry Baby. Uh, they were big John Waters fans, mm-hmm. Pink Flamingos and tape heads and movies like that <laughs> great movies um, they released a uh, they gave them a, a demo of uh, a song called High School Hellcats I think another song and but unfortunately they, they weren't used 
High School Hellcats was actually a song that was in the movie. I think Johnny Depp sings it. Oh, yeah? But, but there's a version with the cramp singing it that's way better. Um, 1990 would come along, and they would come out with a new album. And this would be called Stay Sick. And this would be their biggest selling album of all time. It's a great okay. album. Yeah. It had the song Bikini Girls with Machine Guns on it. Song, okay. Bikini Girls yep. <laughs> Which was an MTV hit and was a top 40 hit in England as well as a single. Um, I got to give you a little info. They called the album Stay Sick. Do you know why? Why? Because they said rock and roll was getting too safe. They were sick of stuff like We All the World and Live Aid yeah, and like all these bands. Bands playing like, you know, for these causes. And they were like, no, rock and roll's not supposed to be like do that. Do you have the cover of that? I do, I do. And these should show people yeah. so they know what they're looking for when they go to the record. This is a great fucking cover. This is Stay Sick. Okay? You see it? Stay Sick. Okay, it's got Ivy right there on the cover. It's got a back. Some naked Ivy. They're in drag right there. <laughs> okay. This is a fantastic album. Everybody should own this record, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they would start getting more like commercial recognition a little bit yeah. at this point. Uh, there was a song called Bop Pills on there. Uh, they did a video for uh, Bikini Girls with Machine Guns, which was a pretty big hit. Uh, you know, something A lot of time where they put up the cramps. Yeah. They wouldn't put them on regular MTV. 120 minutes But they went 120 minutes All the time And they did a bunch of interviews For 120 there was, minutes There was a, a famous interview They did with Dave Kendall From yes. 120 minutes When that album came out And you kind of When you watch it You could see everybody's Uncomfortable with each other Yeah It's a, it's a weird It's a weird interview really but, they, but they talk about The album They talk about The new upcoming video Which would be banned by MTV called Creature from the Black Leather Lagoon. <laughs> now, you know why it was banned? Why? There's two scenes in that movie, in that, in that video, where in the beginning it starts out like Lux is being born and his head is coming out of Ivy's vagina. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? And he's like, I asked my mom how to make a monster. Right? And he's like, his head is coming yeah. out of like between her legs. All right? And then late, later on, in the video, like Ivy's like sitting on his face. <laughs> oh man, you can't do that. Can't do that on MTV. Oh, you hear this song? Yep. Okay, that is Wanda Jackson, who Poison Ivy said is the greatest woman that ever menstruated. <laughs> November, uh, actually, in, in, in the end of 1990, uh, Candy and Nick quit the band alright and Nick was in poor health at that point he had a bad drug problem he yeah. had to get under control so it was just down to Lux and Ivy at that point uh, 1991 they would come out with a new album with a new lineup and it would be bass player Slim Chance and drummer Jim Sclavanos would join Lux and Ivy and they would make Look Mom No Head No Head and here we go I got it right here Look, mom, no head. Okay. There's the back. Let me see the. Let me see the back. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Right? This was. This was. This picture was taken in Lux and Ivy's house in Los Angeles. They were living in the Hollywood Hills. They had like a. Uh, I forget whose house it was, 
it was a famous I think it was Rudolph Valentino's wow. old mansion in the Hollywood Hills that they were living in and this was filmed like in a hallway right there but Look Mom No Head 1991 great album and they had a new lineup and you had songs like Dames Booze Chains and Boots that's a great fucking song okay Two Headed Sex Change yep and Eyeball and My Martini can't beat that Jim Sclavanos would would leave <laughs> after the album was released he didn't tour that album but they hooked up with uh, a guy named Nicky Alexander who used to be in The Weirdos which was an L.A. punk band and he was also in L.A. Guns believe it or not okay. L.A. Guns not which was the band that kind of gave birth to Guns N' Roses Axel yeah. was in that band at some point uh, they did a big European tour at that point and they did some first they did some American dates in early 1992 with Reverend Horton Heat I did see them on that tour at the Academy which was over on like 44th Street I believe yeah. on the west side yeah they would play the CBGB's 20th anniversary in December of 1993 and they would introduce new drummer Harry Drumdini great name right that's a wonderful name yeah they would release in 1994 a new album called Flame Job. Uh, Lux at that point was very interested in fixing cars, hot rods, things like that. So a lot of these songs were about cars, like Mean Machine, uh, I'm Customized, the Sado County Auto Show, which is a great fucking song. That's a great right? fucking song. Sado County. <laughs> uh, they did a version of the song Route 66 on that. You know what's funny? This is almost going back to the thing about Johnny Cash yeah. making a Cadillac. Making a Cadillac, right, now. yeah, yeah. I'm, He's making a thing they, with all these cars They knew and about songs. that. They knew so about they, that. They knew what the hell they were doing. Absolutely. Which is great. The album cover is great. Like, Ivy's sitting down. She's got, like, a PVC leather outfit on oh, with, a, with a blowtorch in her hand. Fantastic. Beautiful. Okay. 1994 through 95, they would tour continuously all over the world. Uh, they would be connected with uh, Big Beat again and uh, Ep- Epitaph Records. And in 1997, they would record Big Beat from Badsville. Yep, great album. Another, another great album. Yeah. They had songs like Devil Behind That Bush, <laughs> It Thing Hard On, Sheena. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, she, Sheena's in a goth gang, and Monkey With Your Tail. Okay. The double entendres were going. Yeah, okay, I mean, they they, they love doing that. Okay, they did a hundred gigs on that tour. That's a lot of shows. That's a lot. Okay. The one thing about this band, they they tour. I can see why now so many people came and go because just small. Even it was it was it was, it was it was it was a grueling life, man. Yeah. Being a cramp. Yeah, I mean to yeah. be in the cramps, it was like a hard hard job. Tours. That's a- they, they played South America in that tour too. I think for the first time. Uh, How were they treated there? Well, well, well. American music does very well. I mean, I the, Ram- the Ramones in the '90s were doing fantastic in South America. They would play soccer stadiums, fifty thousand wow. people. They couldn't do that here. No, nah. they couldn't do that here. I remember uh, when we had Paris. Paris was talking about yeah him getting tours like twelve thousand dollars for like four gigs in in Europe. It's like holy shit. American rock and roll and heavy metal and punk I mean, and stuff in, 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 in Europe and yeah. in South America does fantastic. Yeah. You can make a lot of money there. That's uh, and, and that's why they did it. You know, they had they would they weren't making money on record sales. 
They were making the, money on tours. They were making yeah. money on touring and T-shirts and things like that. So I guess that's why they yeah. wanted to tour so much. Right, right. And they enjoyed it. Yep. They enjoyed it because they they liked to bring the music to the masses, you know. Uh, after the 100 gigs, in, which included South America, uh, Slim Chance would leave the band, the bass player. Now, that would kind of be like the end of a five-and-a-half-year period of stability. Yeah. All right? So... But that uh, might have been the longest... Probably the longest. longest yeah, I think it was the longest at that time. With yeah. the band, the same band. Yeah. Now, they would have to be on hiatus at that point while they kind of regrouped. And by June of, of 2001, they got some bad news, Rob. Uh, Brian Gregory died. Oh, yeah. Okay, he died of a heart attack. Not much was known about him for 20 years. Uh, he was in some other lineups with other bands. Yeah. Briefly, very briefly, recorded nothing, basically. You would hear little things here and there. Nobody knew what happened to him. Yeah. And he had very little, almost no contact with the band, with the cramps. But right before he passed away, uh, he actually had reconciled. Reconciled, that's with them, You know, and he wasn't going to be in the band, but he, he reconciled with them and... and Unfortunately, it, it, it happened right before he died of a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. Now, the summer of 2002, Lux would pop up on an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> he was a cartoon character, the lead singer in a band called The Bird Brains. Yeah, The Bird Brains. Okay. <laughs> and it was great. It turned out, the way that happened was, one of the people involved with SpongeBob one of the animators or something was a next door neighbor to them. Okay. And through talking and whatever, you know, he got he got involved with that. That's funny. Yeah, that is funny. Uh, 2003, they would do for a new album. So they would come out with an album called Fiends of Dope Island. That's a great title. Fantastic title. And they would uh, release this on their Fiends own Vengeance Island. Vengeance label. Yes. Yeah. Fiends of Dope Island. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Now... Yeah, Ventures. They would come out. They that would, was their own label, right? How did yeah, that was that was their own label. Uh, they would put things out over the years on that. Okay, uh, they have a lot of rights to their own music, which is good. Yeah, a lot of bands don't. But this would be the first single off of uh, Dope Fiends from Dope Island called Big Black Witchcraft Rock. I look at how we're see-through. Yep, yes. Ivy, Ivy with the see-through outfit on. Ooh. That's the whole band right there. Okay. I bought this as soon as it came out. Uh, you had songs on there. Big Black Witchcraft Rock. You had a song called Color Me Black. You had a song called Wrong Way Ticket. And a song called Dr. Fucker. MD. Dr. Fuck. That's a great And a song called Elvis Fucking Christ as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they brought in bass player uh, Scott Chopper Franklin. For that album okay and the following tour uh they did 40 dates an american tour right away off that there was a gig in chicago that they got some attention because it was extremely violent oh, uh what happened was they were playing and their stage technician got dragged into the crowd Oh, and shit. got fucking bloodied and, and beat up. I think I remember seeing something that like on MTV yeah, News. Yeah, might have been on news. Yeah. Might have been, might have been. Uh, they, they, what happened was they stopped playing, and Chopper jumped into the crowd to get the guy out. And when he did, 
like he got hurt and the other guy was still hurt and when he pulled him up there was like a trail of blood on the stage oh, and everything because yeah. he was like banged up so bad security had done nothing uh cramp shows weren't really violent you would get like some slam dancing and stuff but yeah. i saw them many times and it was never like really too crazy but something must have happened that night because they they lost their shit yeah people fucking lost yeah. their mind maybe it was the extra um, extra nice heroin outside <laughs> depends on what drugs are going around right okay no <laughs> who, knows? No, no. who knows now they would tour this album for a while uh, but but Ivy and, and, and Lux were putting together a collection of, of unreleased demos live tracks and stuff and in 2004, this would culminate into a two-CD collection called How to Make a Monster. Great album. Yeah. It's all unreleased demos, live tracks, yep. bonus tracks. You got them doing like shit like Quick Joey Small back in 77. Gr- great shit. Uh, they would continue touring all the way through to 2006. Now, the last time I ever saw them live... Because, like I said, I saw them yeah. every time they came into town. Yeah. Uh, I also saw them at Trenton City Gardens once oh, or yeah. twice, too, as well. Uh, 2006, they would play the limelight. And uh, I remember it being a kind of elitist kind of show because you had to get the tickets through a weird... I'm trying to remember now. It was a weird way. You had to be part of this other website or something. And I remember doing it. I think the reason I did that so the scalpers wouldn't buy tickets and stuff. Maybe. more to get fans to buy, you know. Yeah. But that they didn't want, they really wanted to find them there. So yeah, they I mean, they, they played the Limelight, which was a great place to see. Great them. venue, man. Yeah, I've seen a lot of That would be the last time they would ever play New York City. By the end of 2006... They they were done touring in two thousand. That show he played was it in Arizona, something like that. The end of two thousand and six. Yeah. They also had done a European tour that yeah. year. Uh, two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight. They uh, would be on hiatus basically, uh, and then we would get the unimaginable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, February fourth, two thousand and nine. Luxeteria passed away sadly. Uh, he died away. He died from when his his aorta artery ruptured and it just happened it. it just happened yeah. I mean it, it wasn't any, due to any illness or anything like that it wasn't a drug overdose nothing like that yeah. it was just something happened his aorta ruptured and that was the end of the cramps yeah that's and, the way they, uh, they went out it, like it's that it's amazing how they say they broke up because of the death of how could you have How, you how could you have up. the cramps Without yeah. the without lungs Yeah no, you know. But I mean They didn't break up they breathed, that, He died, died. He died it. That was yeah. it Now It's 2019 And it's been 10 years And I was devastated When that happened Yeah uh, That was the end of the band Yeah but, was... but But Ivy Has Has been a recluse Ever since And I guess that's understandable Okay. She lost the love of her life. She lost the love of her life. Uh, they, they, they never married, as far as I know. I don't think they no. ever did. Uh, but they were lovers, friends, everything. Uh, bandmates, everything. And, you know, like I said in the first episode of this, you know, the, the story of the Cramps is a love story yep. between Lux and Ivy and a million fans. 
and I'll never forget this band. I love this music until I'm dead. Okay, this is some of the greatest rock and roll you could ever see. Okay, it's nice when you're when you're in a bar and there's a cramped CD in the jukebox. There's not too many bad songs. No, they don't have a they don't have a bad album. As far as I'm concerned. They do not have a bad album. They might have one or two songs you might not care for, but I mean, it's they got, better they than got, most songs. They got shit better than others, yeah. but but the thing is, is a bad cramp song is a thousand times better than a lot of people's stuff. Yeah. Okay? Now, I heard a rumor that Ivy uh, became a, a Buddhist. I don't know if that's true. Uh, also, there was a documentary that was being in the works not too long ago that she squashed. Apparently... She was originally for it And then squash it That's the rumor I don't know yeah. uh, All I can say is uh, Something has to be done About this band First of all If any band should be In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame It's this fucking yeah. band Okay And again I don't give a fuck about that But But There needs to come out With a retrospective A film You know what's funny you could Some come- of the stuff Some of the guitars And stuff That he Will that's what it says It's in the Hall of Fame I'd say Yeah They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame But they're not in they it They get some mention I believe yeah. With a few things But yeah, they they're not that. in it Okay And I think that's a That's a shame If you could have shit Like Madonna and Michael Jackson In there You could have a fucking yeah. branch Alright I'm sorry uh, They were pioneers They were the innovators Of Psychobilly Psychobilly Now One other thing I gotta show you The cramps and I said this in the first episode Influenced me uh, Not just through their music But stuff that they were into yeah. Okay. Now there's a collection called Songs the Cramps Taught Us Alright There's several volumes of this This is the first volume Okay. Uh, this is a lot of stuff that was based On covers that they did Or they would take snippets of shit and you'd realize they got it from this rockabilly tune from 1957 or whatever. Uh, Early 60s and and garage music from the 60s. Uh, There's a bunch of these and you should get them. I mean, it's it's, it's an education. Nice. Yeah. So that's it. There's no more cramps after 2009. And uh, that's a shame. Have they released any more albums or no. anything that written like just like un, un no. stuff that never got? It? So, so that's it. Yeah. He passed away. Everything is shut down. She's like hidden because you like you never. Uh, yeah, you hear very, very, very little. Like I said, I heard she was a Buddhist. Now I'm not sure if that's true or not. I hope uh, not a Buddhist like Jerry. <laughs> He's a lousy monk anyway. <laughs> but, this is a band I'll always love. I, I, you know, a week doesn't go by that I don't listen to this music. Great stuff. Uh, it's, you can hear it still on the Lower East Side here. A lot of mm-hmm. bars, Seven B, International. Uh, you know, the Cramps are on the jukebox. Uh, I know uh, Bigley at the Hard Swallow. He's a big Cramps fan. Yep. They they made their mark here. And they made, made their, they mark. made their mark in music. Uh, if you don't know a lot about this band, that's fine. Check them out. Uh, you'll you'll be the better for it, you know. So that's all I got for you, Rob. I think we gave a lot of information. Like two. two this was a labor of love today. I researched yeah. this show for five hours to get this together. This might be the most in, the most information. We got one band in the in the most that we've done. Might be some shows we do really quick and we get a good reaction. Hopefully, you people will enjoy this one. 
a little bit of the history, the time and life of the Cramps. Yeah. One we of got, the most underrated bands. Now, we got a show coming up soon. We're going to do a Christmas show and a recap for 2019. Yes. You'll see that soon. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, don't get, get drunk. drunk. Get, get lumped up. up. Have a good day. All see right. you. Take care, people.